Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin, and uh, what a great opportunity I have from week to week to talk to some amazing people and help our listeners, our viewers to grow their business and to build their visibility. And of course, this is available on all of the, the audio portions. It's on, I can't remember half the places, Stitcher and Megaphone and Apple iTunes and C-Suite Radio. And of course, the, vis, the video version of this is on my website at davidaverin.com. Click on the podcast link. You can see the video version. And for those of you listening, you're going to want to watch the video version of this one because my guest is one of one of my favorite people on on the whole planet and and she's not on just because she's one of my favorite people because she has something important to share and something for everybody to learn from there's a lot of people who sort of espouse branding or personal branding and there's some people who just live it and there's some people who just ooze it out of their pores and this is one of those people before i do an introduction i'm going to do actually a formal introduction and read from some of this as well mickey williams one of my favorite people on the planet, CSP Speaker Hall of Fame, a global celebrity speaker, transformational storyteller. She was chosen as one of the best speakers on the planet uh, by Meetings and Convention Magazine. She is also has been a master chip with Vistage International, the world's largest CEO member organization. So she not only speaks, but she leads CEOs, uh, business leaders, helps them uh, transform their businesses and manage their life. She's a great coach from that perspective. Uh, if that's not enough, she also runs the Speaker School, and I want to talk make you about that a little bit as well. The Mickey Mouth Club, and that's not me with a lisp. It's the Mickey Mouth Club, keynote camp, outrageous orators, and she has something we have in common, you and I, is that we have spoken on every continent on the planet except Antarctica, and I have a plan for rectifying that final, final uh, hurdle of having all seven, and we'll talk about later as well. Uh, big welcome to Mickey Williams to the show. Welcome. David, thank you. Thank you for that glowing introduction. You know my heart. I feel exactly the same. And I don't plan on speaking in Antarctica because I can't wear my stilettos. You, you can because I'm going to bring like a carpet swatch, and then we're going <laughs> to lay it on the ice so that you can, but, but I have a plan. I have a plan for all of us who've spoken on six continents to do a crazy, fabulous couples trip to uh, South America and then go spend a day in Antarctica. And we'll all speak to each other, do a TED talk. I know you're a TEDx speaker as well. Do a TED talk to everybody else for 20 minutes and then we can, we'll, we'll get a logo and a patch. And then we'll kill, really. Yeah, chill. really, really chill. <laughs> so, so Mickey, Mickey is one of those people, and I, and I want my listeners, my viewers to sort of get a sense. There's a lot of people who sort of teach it from an academic perspective. There's others who, who write books uh, and, and consult. Mickey lives this, and um, you have one of the most um, outrageous but credible personal brands that I have come across. We've known each other for about 20 years or so. Um, tell us a little bit about, because this is important as well. I think some people see you and and they, they equate you. I mean, tell me some of the celebrities that, that people will throw out there. So you're sort of a so-and-so meets so-and-so. What is it that you hear? 
Oh, I hear Bette Midler. I hear yep. Suzanne Summers. I hear for those who are fashion concerts, you know, Betsy Johnson. Uh, I've got a mixture of Dolly Parton, Cher, uh, you know, all the maverick women, Barbara Streisand, uh, you know, so it's not only a kind of a looks personality thing. I think it's a little bit of that outlier thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a sense of what your business is today. And then I do want to take everybody back because you have a really profound backstory um, that is gut-wrenching in, in, in a sense, but it also, um, I think, held you to the kind of work that you do. So tell us a little bit about your business model now. Uh, for those viewers and listeners, because sometimes they'll listen a little bit getting and decide whether they want to continue. And I, I promise for those who are listening or watching right now, you want to continue um, because there's a lot of uh, insights and lessons. So tell us about your business model. What do you do? What do you teach and who do you do it for? You know, David, it's so interesting because I've started to see a pattern. I've had nine different companies in my lifetime and there's always a pattern. And now it became more obvious than ever. I go through the phase of building a business and then I feel I'm very goal oriented. I reach the goals and then it's all the give back phase, the legacy phase. And it's exactly where I am right now. 30 years as a professional speaker and like you, I've been all over the world. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I've done TED. I've done everything that I really wanted to do. And more and more the gratification, you know, I go back to when I was a professional dancer and then I was a choreographer and I get to stand in the wings and just feel that, such a feeling of pride by watching the people I trained how to dance or created a, a play. And the, so it's exactly where I am now. My business is mostly coaching and several offshoots of that. I like, to, I like to say that part of it is the fact that I've done that and now I can add this legacy part. So I'm coaching people. I'm running what I call the umbrella, the Mickey Mouth Club, yes. And that speaker source, which is coaching. Accountability Academy, which is a year-long coaching program. Uh, Keynote Camp, the original one, which is a two-day intensive, one-on-one, -on -one designing someone's keynote. And Outrageous Orators, where I actually book, uh, run sort of a speaker's bureau for the clients that I, I work with. And aside from that, I run two Vistage groups. And as far as speaking goes, I have three criteria. It's a client I love, a place I want to go, or an obscene amount of money, because that's where I am at my career. That's it. But it's, good, it's good that you're slowing down a little bit here in, the, uh, in, in, <laughs> in your later years. Uh, but, but here's what's interesting, because you're one of those people that, that there are people that, that we sort of define the different phases, the act one and the act two and the act three. And oftentimes act three is sort of going from, as we say in the Vistage world, right, from a life of success to a life of significance. Yeah. And what am I doing for my third act? You are as busy now as you are, have ever been. But you also, there's a lot of people sort of that I've been there, done that. You've been there and you're still doing that. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing it on a different level and you're doing it for more people. You really, your consulting is really on a high level. You're working with CEOs and even the speaker school um, is, is different than what most people do. Uh, it's not necessarily teaching professional speakers. You're teaching executives and others how to communicate better. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, interesting enough, I've been doing speaker school uh, probably three, four decades when I was in the fitness industry. I actually started it to help fitness professionals transfer from their feet to their mouth and have more credibility that way. And that's where it started. And then I was doing them around the country. And when I moved to Chicago, 
Uh, I wasn't doing them immediately. Now I've probably been doing them for about 15 years. And they kind of morph too. I know there's many types of things like that within the speaking industry. Right. And yet I have aspiring speakers and professional speakers. But because I'm so niched in the executive market through my experience with Vistage, that my speaker school attendees are kind of eclectic. They're executives. They're aspiring professional speakers. They are speakers. They're coaches and consultants. They're people who just want to expand their business or product and use a speaking as a vehicle. So it's really an eclectic mix, which I absolutely love. And it's, you know, it's morphed into two and a half days and it's a different program than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but I love it. So how much, but let's talk about how much it's changed in terms of not speaking, because most of our our viewers and listeners aren't professional speakers, but in terms of, of the requirement to be able to effectively communicate, I mean, this was the genesis for organizations like Toastmasters and others as well but it's really changed in a hyper-competitive marketplace as we look to achieve a greater level of visibility. Being able to communicate persuasively and effectively and confidently is a, is a huge part of that, isn't it? Yes, it's tremendous. I get a lot of people now that ask for communication coaching, which is a bigger umbrella and actually sure. not what I really want to do. I do some of it because I'm really in the lane of speaking skills and storytelling. And I believe the differentiator is really that second part, the storytelling, or also having a structure. What a lot of people don't understand, and I believe professional speakers as well, that underneath a great speech is a structure because structure right. free creativity. And people think they've got a great personality or they've got a great topic. They can just go up there and do it. I don't really believe that. I believe the most successful people work from that template, as I call it, that I teach, that people can use over and over again, whether you're a professional speaker or or an executive. It's the same type of thing. But I think today, David, more than ever, storytelling is what separates us. Right. But let's talk about it from, from those who might see that as, well, that's the fluffy part of it. You and I both know storytelling is not about some kind of creative thing. It's really to make, to illustrate a very important point and to be able to tie it to um, points of reference within our life, within culture, within the marketplace that create a point of reference that, oh, I get it. It's, this is the kind of thing that illustrates it. So what, what constitutes uh, an evocative story and what does it take to effectively tell that? Because we have these conversations, you know, the best conversations, or at Thanksgiving, right? And with our family, we're not talking about our stuff. We're talking about memories and things that we remember together. And it makes a real connection, doesn't it? It absolutely does. I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head. Or let's go back to that old cliche, people buy on emotion and rationalize on logic. Well, that applies more than ever in storytelling. And because I deal with a lot of executives, and I'll say male executives, and I don't mean to stereotype, used to presenting a lot of data and not really going from the heart so much, more from the head. And the challenge is getting people to understand that. So, you know, to quote myself, because I love to quote myself. Uh, as I quote, I quote yourself as well. So go ahead. <laughs> Invest me through story to care about your data. And perfect example of that is one time listening to an economist, which not the sexiest uh, subject in the whole world, maybe for some people, wasn't for me. But it was during the recession. He was talking about the 
the facts and the challenges of the real estate and construction industry. And he started speaking about his daughter buying her first home. Well, what am I doing then? I'm thinking, well, I remember when I bought my first home or when my son's going to buy his first home because we put our people, ourselves in other people's stories. So he presented this whole story. I had no idea why he was presenting it, but I was not sitting there thinking, why is he telling him this? I was in it. And then he presented the real estate data. And now I cared about it because I was emotionally right. moved by the story. Right. That's as simple an illustration as I can make. Well, and, and it makes a connection, doesn't it? Um, I, I talk about the same thing that, that we've heard that before, that people will make decisions emotionally and they'll justify them intellectually. But it's not to suggest that people are overly emotional. They, they buy because they want to. When we make a real connection and they understand the why, then they more want to. Of course, they'll just, well, it was a really good price. Why'd you buy it? You bought it because you wanted it, right? Our job is to help people want it. And they want it by being, um, uh, by being authentic. Talk to me a little bit about, because I know this is all part of what we talk about. A word that's thrown around a lot is authenticity. And what is, as I knock, as I knock my glasses on the floor, um, how does authenticity play into all of this? And how does somebody go from being overly rehearsed to be able to be authentic so people make a real connection. Let me use myself as almost a platform for that answer, David, in that uh, you were very kind, but most people who know me or don't know me, I'm very flamboyant. I'm very outrageous. That is my personal brand. It's always been that way. It's right. off-putting for almost nine out of 10 people in every industry I've been in from the NSAs to the Vistage, et cetera. But what happens is, and why I've been successful, I want to say in spite of it, is because it is authentically me. It's not a shtick I woke up one day and said, I'm right. going to dress like this or be like this. I really am. And when the people get past that, for those who do, and thankfully enough have to have built me a great career, then they realize it's authentically me. And authenticity to me is still the number one leading factor in the success of anybody in any industry, especially in the speaking industry. Because audiences today, and you know this, David, they're very smart. And they know when they're being conned and they know when they're being schmoozed and they know when you're being real or you're just giving a speech to sell a product or to get hired or whatever, or you really care about them. You care about their business. You care about their life. That's my view on why authenticity is the most important characteristic of all. I end my, my storytelling speeches. I give them 10 points and, and they're all pretty much around technicalities of speaking, you know, the structure, this, that, and everything. And I always sure. say that is my 10th point. And I said, and they have to kind of guess it because that's the way the speech is structured. And I usually say, here's one thing I can't teach you today, but I will tell you that can almost negate everything else I've taught you. And it's the one thing that you need to be successful. And we go around and around on that until they get it. And that's what I talk about because I passionately believe that. Yeah, and, and I do as well. And so for those who are who are listening as well, who are in sales, we're all in sales to an extent, right? We said nothing happens until somebody sells something. I even talk in the speaking business. Speaking is not a, a business. Getting the gig is the business. <laughs> speaking is the deliverable. We love that part. Yeah. But people who are who are selling themselves, selling their company, uh, how do they get out of the script and into authenticity? Because I, I love what you said before when you talk about the importance of structure. And it's in my mind, structure lets you, once you know the structure, then you can focus on the content. But the people who focus on memorizing scripts or sales people, what do you, what's it gonna take to get you in this car? You know what, you're not getting me in that car. Um, because, you're right, because people don't wanna be sold to. And, and we hear those platitudes all the time. 
but how does it manifest itself into into really those authentic conversations that that make people feel connected and want to so i'm talking like on the level of of a salesperson um, the ceo within an organization where of course communication is one of their primary responsibilities what's some of your teaching and learning to get out of the the other voice in our head which is context and into the content to be authentic you know for me david it underlying that getting to authenticity is self-esteem and confidence and the right. ability to take a risk and be who you are and not apologize for it or hold it back you know some of the challenges i see in some of the people i coach is they show up as their title or their job description right who they think and, they're supposed to be yeah and you know some of the greatest speakers the kissingers of the world are people who are in high level offices who can show that they're also a dad and a and a brother and a, a person outside of the title that they hold is really where the authenticity, but it ta that takes some courage. It takes some risk and yeah. some courage, some confidence and self-esteem. And I think those are the areas people have to work on to get to their authenticity, to be able to let that show per se. Right, it's that, it's that vulnerability, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it's that, that, that part maybe that they don't expect, the part that will maybe be endearing yeah. to them as well. I'm one of those guys, I'm 6'4", I have a deep voice, and I know the words to every Broadway musical, which is so counterintuitive of what people would expect of me. And I have no problem showing that. I was at, I spoke at some big conference and I saw some of the attendees later on out at the pool, and one of the guys says to me, he says, okay, half sleeve tattoo would not have called that on you. And I'm like, <laughs> listen, we're all complex, we all have different aspects, but that's kind of what what endears people, and that you having the courage. And I think you're I think you're way off base when you said it's off putting to eighty or ninety percent. I think it might be off putting to ten percent. You might hear from them, but for people like me who are so drawn to people who have personality plus, who are real, who are bigger than life, and who are authentic on and off stage in front of it's who you are no matter where you are for those listening if you go to google type in the word fabulous and click images it's 42 pages of mickey williams i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying oh david how how has but let me ask you this how has that you really personifying before people talk branding i mean i think for so many decades decades we talked advertising and marketing and for some people they they thought it means the same as branding but they're but they're really it really is a a distinct discipline but you were one of those people that sort of modeled it before we had a label for it. How has that served you in being heard above the noise? Well, you hit that nail right on the head. I, I call myself an accidental brand. You're right. I was pre-branding. I didn't know what it was. It didn't have a title or a name or any other thing that went with it. But what I started to do was to pay attention in my early years, and this is mostly during my speaking career, it was paying attention to how people would talk about me and they'd say, oh, she's the one with the big earrings or the big hair or the flashy clothes or the bright colors. And the more they did that instinctively, I don't know, maybe it's my creative side or my businesswoman side, I don't know. I started to almost exploit that. 
exploit it in the sense that I would lead with it. So I made the hair bigger. I made the, the earrings bigger. I, I used a caricature of me because I'm a living caricature. And I just right. used that as a marketing tool and you the guru of marketing and stuff. So it was, uh, and then I realized I, I was doing something that differentiated me that nobody else was doing. And I was creating a personal brand. I can't take credit for being smart enough to do it. It happened accidentally and then I started to realize it and then methodically started to use it. So what do you think most in business, uh, what do you think they're missing today in this? What opportunities do you think that they and business they're leaving on the table by worrying too much about being safe, about playing the role? Because when you do, I mean, you, big risk, big reward, but, but big risk is big risk. And in a marketplace replete with talent and quality, what are those who are reluctant to be bold? What are they, what do you think they're missing? And what are they leaving on the table? I don't know if I'm going to answer the question the way you meant it. So steer me you back. You answer it any way you want. My job is to tee you up for you to, to share your insight. You know, I've noticed through the coaching that I do now, and I'm really singular coaching. It's I'm all around speaking and storytelling. And I'm a very proactive coach. I often say to people, I'm not the coach for everyone because I'm not going to send you flowers before I tell you you suck. I'm from New York and I'm very direct. And the people I work with want that kind of in-your-face feedback. I'm not patting your head, everyone, and I'm giving you work to do. And so here's a sideways answer to what you asked me. I think it's being proactive rather than being passive. I've never been one to sit here and wait for the phone to ring. I've always taken it five steps beyond, never being pushy, but always developing those relationships that I could leverage and network and all the tools. You know, I didn't have a marketing budget when I started. You know, I came out of a very unusual situation. So there was no money to play with. And I got very creative during those years. And I think the fact that my proactivity in terms and using my network and referral system was really the only tools I had. And I actually maximized them to my benefit to build the career that I did. You know, fear is a hell of a motivator, isn't it? Yeah. When, when there is no plan B, yeah. you find the resource. That's one of the things that we talk about, you know, as parents today and how much are we denying our kids adversity so they learn resilience and uh, it, a whole other conversation. You alluded to your, your unique background and, and I'm familiar because you and I have been friends for some time. For those who are listening, it's, sometimes it's, it's easier to understand where people are by recognizing um, where they've been, uh, where they where they have been. Um, there's that great song from from Hairspray, um, where Motormouth Mabel whatever sings. I know where I'm going because I know where I've been. Give us a sense of where you've been. You just showed your Broadway side. Yes, I did, <laughs> didn't I? I, I? There's a Hairspray reference. Yes. Uh, where I've been. Um, yeah, in my TED talk is really my story. I was a 29 year old widow with a two-year-old child and no job and no money. So I, I used my natural skills at that point, which was dancing and cooking to build businesses. And uh, it turned out I was pretty good at it. And my dance business, you know, was celebrity clientele from Joanne Woodward and Martha Stewart, who I started my catering with back in 19 blah, 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 and all those <laughs> famous people. And uh, that started me on a career of being a, an entrepreneur and uh, so tragedy was really the motivator. And then midlife, right, when I became a professional speaker, the year before that, I was embezzled out of every penny that I had built up from that uh, past two decades. So I started nationalist my speaking career with zero. 
I was selling chocolates. I was working at a health club. I was doing, and then I'd go out during lunch to make my calls to build my speaking business. So all along my way, I've had things that just said, ha, we're going to stop you again. And I think because I've had these things in my life, they've made me the person that I am today. And I, I don't want to say I'm fearless, but you know, that old cliche, what's the worst thing that could have happened? It did. So I look at everything now as it, in perspective to everything else. And that's, I, I try to inspire people in my speeches, my coaching, that you don't have to wait for those things to happen to develop the skills that I have as a result of those things happening. And I also had a mother, David, who, excuse me, I was raised by a single mom before that was even fashionable. And I had a mom who just believed in me and who just really kept saying, you could be whoever you want and do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what other kids say, because like I was like this as a young child. And so she sure. just made me feel very special. And I, I never needed everybody else's admiration to do what I want to do. And I only do what I want to do. I don't do anything that I don't like. I don't care how much money it is. And I've always right. been that way. Right. And that's one of the, the great benefits of, of having achieved a level of success. You can uh, have, have permission to use the most powerful word in the English language, which of course is no, right? We can say, knock it down. I always have what I call the three F's rule. So when I have an opportunity, whether it's a client or, or speaking engagement, it's fame, fun, fame, and fortune. And if it's not two of the three F's, then I don't do it. Fun, fame, or fortune. The only caveat to that rule is if the fortune one is really big, screw the other two, I'll make it work. <laughs> and I know That's and why I, know. I love you. There you go, because we're, we're aligned that way. <laughs> um, talk real quick about sort of this, this, this lifelong learning, because you're not just the teacher, um, but you're also sort of the mentor and the guider. And the word, and, and for those who don't understand or, or understand what Vistage is, um, think of it like a YPO or Renaissance Forum or Vistas kind of created the model. It was originally called Tech, which stood for the Executive Committee, and it's the CEO Roundtable Group. And you have been leading those groups, so you are you're facilitating, you're mentoring. Give me a sense, and and I know this because I am a former Vistas chair as well. What you learn every month in that dynamic when you've got a table full of 16, 17 different businesses, non-competing businesses, different industries, and some deep, in-depth conversations every month, one to ones. How much are you finding yourself learning through that process as well of information that you can take and, and use as part of your arsenal to coach others? You've been plugging into my dreams or my conversations. What are you doing, David, that you're so in my head? Because huh? <laughs> I, I think we're aligned, and, but I'm such a fan. But, but I think it's also important to, to, to communicate this to others and to recognize. I mean, like I feel, I felt like I got an MBA, even all the years I spoke for Vistage, the CEO groups, I feel like I got an MBA every 18 months. Absolutely. Just learning from that. That makes me smarter and better. But because you're the guest, I want you to espouse that to our listeners. So it's not all coming from me. And I often get asked, because I've had so many companies in the past, and even now I've got eight different arms coming out of Mickey Williams Unlimited, the ones that I mentioned earlier. And people always say, what's your favorite and why? And I always say it's a vestige. And here's why I say it. Now, the difference is that you're a lot younger than me, and therefore you're probably not at the stage that I'm going to say this, even though you've been a vestige chair. I could get up now and give a speech in front of 20,000 people and not not have a fear, not bat an eyelash, not worry right. about, just, I just could easily. Vistage for me is the only thing that keeps my saw sharp. 
because I am leading people smarter than me, wealthier than me, more experienced than me. And I feel in order to lead them, I have to be one step ahead of them. And by doing that, I have to keep learning and growing and challenging myself. And, you know, not every chair does it. Not every speaker does it. There are people who just dial it in because they can't. I'm not a dial it in kind of person. So I kind of force myself monthly to come up with a new exercise, a new question, a new something that challenges them and therefore selfishly and rewarding I get challenged and I grow because I'm trying to do that for them. So it's the only career, the only business that I'm involved in or even that I can think of that keeps me learning because I want to stay one step ahead to be the best I can be for them. And that's my passion right now. Right. And it's a great opportunity to uh, to learn about industries that you would never have known about, but you're also at, at the front of the room. And then they look to you for that guidance, even if it's just steering the conversation. And what I found is there's the, the skills that come from facilitating um, high level conversations it makes you very comfortable sitting at the table with, with anybody. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And as you, as you look and you coach some very high level CEOs and others as well, you're absolutely comfortable at that table because you live at the front of that table on a monthly basis. Yeah. And I am comfortable going back to what I said, because I, I know I'm challenging them. I know I don't have to compete with them. I don't have to equal them. I just have to be a great leader, a great facilitator, a great mentor. These are roles that give me satisfaction because of my growth. But it also, you know, I have very high retention. I have full groups. And these are people, as you said, I'm learning from all their different industries. So I am learning so much in the coaching sessions with them, as well as the meeting and as well as the activities that I plan for them. So it's uh, it's a win-win, let's put it that way. Absolutely. You look at CEOs and people who are head of the organization, whether it's a small company or big ones, they have, they have employees, they may have shareholders, they have vendors and others, but they don't have peers. And so for those who are in business to have somebody really understands the pressure of that chair and to have somebody to talk to and hold them accountable and to challenge them and push them uh, is really important. And I know you do that within the Vistage world and also outside of the Vistage world as well. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Well, it is different. You know, I still work with a lot of speakers, but I also work with executives and they're very, they come at the same thing from two different mindsets. Uh, I believe the speakers come more from, a lot of them come just from the creative mindset. And of course, you and I know it's more about the business, you know, and that's one thing I always like to differentiate people so they understand. I wasn't a dancer running a business. I was a businesswoman who happened to run a dance studio. I was a right. businesswoman who happened to run a catering business. I'm a businesswoman who's a speaker. I'm not a speaker running a business. That's always been my mindset. And what, even with Vistage, I'm, I'm a facilitator, but it's a business. So everything I do is structured around a business mindset. And I think that a lot of where my success has come from in most of my industries is a result of that mindset. But, you know, and here's where I think it's really relevant for, um, for, for this podcast and, and for other conversations as well, is there's a lot of people who got into business because they're very passionate about what they do. They're very good at what they do. And the ones that are successful um, put as much time, if not more time and effort and learning and focus on the business aspect of what they do. Um, the landscape is littered with companies who were very clear on their why, and I make fun of the whole thing. They have your customers have to know your why. No, they don't. They have to know their why. They have to know why they're buying. They don't. I'm not. I'm not buying from you, so you can live out your passion and dream of of doing this recipe that your mom did. But I'll buy it if it's great for my family and whatever else. I mean, the point I'm making is is 
there's such a need for people to help coach on the business aspect. I love the fact that you're passionate. I love the fact that you were really good at that, at electronics or coding or numbers, but the difference between those who make it and those who don't are the ones who run a profitable business. I will tell you, David, as a, just a side, going in a little sideways direction. Any lest, direction you want. Lest anyone thinks I'm fearless. Talk about fear and, and challenge. Uh, last year, I did a one-woman show. It was a goal of mine to do a one-woman show, and I did it at Second City in Chicago. And yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> During the process, when the show launched, I mean, it's, it's a great set. It's on my website, but I haven't opened it up to the public yet because it's uh, not, it's R-rated because of language. So it's not on YouTube or anything. And once again, you've earned the right to do that as well, Mickey. Yes. And it's going to be a, a pay-per-view because I'm starting a foundation. And so all proceeds will go to the Goddess Foundation that will help young women start businesses. So we're working out all the uh, background on that before people could see the show. But it's an hour-long show. It's called She, I'm very proud of it. It's called She Came, She Wore, She Conquered, Shoes, Sex, and Other Stories from an Outrageous Woman. And when I was writing it, it was interesting, David, because, you know, when you write sometimes, you know, as an author, you're in a vacuum. Do you ever right. have your writing going, is this good? Is this funny? Is this poignant? Is it, will people like it? So I'm writing this show. I'm having a heck of a good time thinking, I don't know. You know, and it wasn't until I hired my director and he actually sat in my kitchen while I performed it and laughed hysterically. I said, oh, my gosh, I think I can do this. And that was one of the highlights of my whole business life, the most fun, but also the most scary. Yeah, and, and it, once again, we get, I, I the same thing while I'm writing the book and, and I'm writing, okay, this is good. I think it, it resonates and you're like, you think it's gonna resonate, you hope that it, but, but for me, for, when I, I knew you were doing that and I knew you were working with, with Michael Lasso on this as well, is that it's, it's just the courage to say, all right, I'm gonna do something different. What else is on my bucket list? Right. Um, and I think it's important. And actually, I want to do that because that leads me into my, my rapid fire um, speed round. <laughs> One of the questions I had listed was that specifically. What else is still, with all of the arms that you have coming out of Mickey Williams, what's still on your bucket list? Well, first of all, I don't use the term bucket list. My TED Talk is about throwing out your bucket list and making okay, it Okay, what's your term? making an experience list because I'm all about experiences. I'm about to have one in two weeks. Uh, my boyfriend listened to my TED talk and he heard one of my experiences was that I wanted to go to the Kentucky Derby and sip a mint julep while sitting in Millionaire's Row and wearing an outrageously large hat. And he bought that for me for Christmas. <laughs> That's love, right? Yes. My, so father, my father always said, if you know somebody loves you, they don't, that people tend to buy gifts that they like. Oh, this awesome. Real love is giving them something that they know that they would love. And that's, yeah, that's, was, that's a great example. It was amazing. It was amazing. <clears throat> he gave it to me. So a, a lot of the experiences I have are not totally around business. They're at this stage of life. There, there are a lot of experiences I just want in life in general. You know, I have things I, I do want to start this foundation. So that's the big thing that I'm working with yep. now. I've got my executive director. I know what it looks like. So we're working on the back end of it. So that's a big one. I was also thinking about doing a speaker school class reunion of all the classes I've had over the decades. Uh, so that's still on the experience list. Trust me, there's, it, there's still a list, David. <laughs> Outstanding. And then beyond that, what, what people who follow you and get your newsletter and everything else yeah. know is that you have an annual trip of the goddesses. Yes. What's your favorite part about that? 
Well, I started it about six years ago, and it was just an annual in, in Vegas called Gathering of the Goddesses. And last year was the mega birthday. So I chartered a yacht in Croatia, and I had 30 goddesses, friends from all over the world, come together for a whole week in Croatia. And in June, we're having a goddess reunion here in Chicago. So they're all flying in for that. How fun is that? How many pairs of shoes do you have? Oh, David, last count, over 300. <laughs> And, and, how, and how many of those are flats? Oh, 10. Four. <laughs> and I'm one, of the, I'm one of the few people who have actually had the, um, the privilege of, of making the pilgrimage and being in the residence of Mickey Williams and all the fabulousness and, and fluff and stiletto and color. And, and you see it behind you as well, right? Yes, part of the, the purple wall and the yellow. And yes, every room's a different color. Just kind of because, is. Because you can. For those who are interested in engaging with you or hiring you or just learning more about you, your one woman show, um, bringing you in to speak, um, how would they best reach you, get in touch with you, or find you online? Well, my website is mickeywilliams.com, M-I-K-K-I Williams. And so you could reach me from the website or anybody could email me directly, mickey at mickeywilliams.com. All the services I offered that we talked about today, the coaching, the keynote camp, uh, they're all listed on the website and speaker school is coming up in July. I used to do one a quarter and now I do only two, one in Naples, Florida, where my other home is in January and one in Chicago in the beautiful summer in Chicago. So that's coming up July 25th to 27th and people already registered for it. And so, yeah, it's all there. I'd love to hear from anybody who loves to listen to you like I do, David. I would love for uh, people to reach out to look you up, M-I-K-K-I, MickeyWilliams.com. Just learn who she is. I think she's somebody, um, I think one of your, your, your biggest, your best qualities is just a, an immense likability. And for those who are looking to, to build an authentic brand, those who are looking to, for, for better communication skills, I know my job isn't, isn't to pimp you out here and get everybody <laughs> by you, but I, but I think that they would be enhanced by learning more about you and being more familiar. Um, I would love you know, for, for information as, as, as it becomes available for the One Woman Show and the pay-per-view and all of that. Look her up online, mickeywilliams.com. Thank you so much, my friend. For, uh, for being with us here on the show. David, you are a gem. I love and adore you. You know that. And this was a, not only an honor, just an absolute pleasure to have time to talk to you and see that handsome face. And congratulations on the fabulous marriage and have everybody Thank ask you. you how you did it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I am I'm a lucky man. As they say, I, I outkicked my coverage. Uh, but the happiest guy on the planet. Hey, listen, be sure to uh, click to subscribe, whether you're, whether you're listening to this on Stitcher or Megaphone or C-Suite Radio or Apple iTunes. And of course, the video version of this is on my website at davidaverin.com. Click on the podcast button, subscribe, recommend this to others as well. And uh, check out some of the other episodes, some very interesting people that we have uh, interviewed over the, over the months and in the months to come. Take care. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theverryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.